Well, hello there. Happy New Year and welcome to the Kim Constable podcast. Nobody cares. Work harder. Did you miss me over the Christmas period? Well, I would love to say that I missed you guys, but actually I didn't at all. I don't mean that in a bad way. But, you know, truly, oh my God, what have I done for the last couple of weeks? I have done nothing but eat and drink and spend time with my family and be merry and have the most awesome, most wonderful time. I think I've actually had the best Christmas that I have had ever that I can remember. And I don't know why it was so good. Well, actually, I'll tell you why it was so good. I think it was fantastic because not only did I decide to take two full weeks off, as did the rest of my team. So apart from customer services and the coaches who were still working, the the whole team took two weeks off. So there was nobody messaging me, nobody asking me anything, didn't have to make any decisions. And also... We hosted Christmas at home this year. We were supposed to have Christmas in a hotel and we had booked this beautiful big hotel called the Merchant Hotel. We were taking the whole family there for Christmas. And of course, then because of Corona, everything was canceled. And they said, you can't have any more than 12 people. And we were like, we're, we are 13 people. And they were like, well, you can't have more than 12 because we can't fit you in, blah, blah, blah. So we had to cancel the whole thing. And we just decided to have Christmas at home instead. And it was absolutely, quite simply, the best Christmas I think I've ever had. We We hired in tables and chairs and table linen and chair covers. And we moved a sofa out of one of our um, living rooms. We have like a study and then we have a main living room and then we have a dining room um, and a kitchen downstairs. So we moved uh, a table out of, uh, sorry, a sofa out of one of the rooms, put it into the other room to create one great big entertaining space. And then we changed that room into a dining room because our dining room is now a gym Oh, it's all all topsy-turvy. And that room has a fire in it. We got it beautifully decorated. We got the house professionally decorated. And it was just spectacular. I just felt so Christmassy. I felt so relaxed. I felt so wonderful. I spent nothing, I spent my whole time doing nothing but cooking and I didn't train in the gym and I did cardio every day with Ryan and it was so fresh and bright and oh, it was just magical, absolutely magical. So um, I'm also back rip roaring, ready to go for a new year because I have so many plans for the Sculpted Vegan this year. And of course, one of those plans is to keep recording these podcasts, which I know you guys love. So um, I'm sorry you didn't hear from me for the last two weeks. It is now January 2021, if you are listening to this at another time. I haven't recorded a podcast for two weeks because I really just needed a break from everything. But I'm back today with a great episode, which is, well, I think it's going to be a great episode, which is all about um, how to kind of stay on track in January. Because I've noticed a lot of posts coming up in my groups and, you know, people saying that, you know, they had set these goals for January and they decided in the new year they were going to be this and they were going to be that and they were going to eat better and they were going to train better and they were going to lose weight. And, you know, they're disappointed with themselves because they've already fallen off their goal or they've already fallen off the wagon or they've already, you know, eaten a whole jar of peanut butter. And, you know, all of these posts coming up about saying, you know, I'm feeling so disappointed with myself and I promised myself I was going to eat healthier and I was going to lose weight and I was going to do this and I haven't done it and asking for tips and, and suggestions. So I thought, what a great podcast to make. It is the new year. It's a new you. It's a new year. You know, all that bullshit that you hear. Uh, but really, kind of, you know, what we want is to hit the reset button in January because, you know, let's face it, most of us did eat too much, drink too much. Definitely guilty of that myself. Yes. Eating too much, drinking too much, partying too much um, over the Christmas period. And, you know, but a kind of a wee period of excess is good sometimes because it makes you, you can't have the bad without the good. You can't have the good without the bad. You can't have the yin without the yang. You need to experience 
experience the downs in order to experience the ups. You could never experience happiness if you hadn't experienced sadness. So we're going to talk about that. I'm going to give you some strategies, uh, some real strategies for how you can achieve your goals in the new year and you can get back on the wagon, hit the reset button and all of that good stuff. But before we uh, get into that, we haven't actually chosen the winner of um, this, of December's podcast review giveaway just yet. We will do that and announce it next week. But don't forget, if you do want to win a Sculpted Vegan program, all you have to do is leave a review on the podcast and you could choose, um, you could win or choose any Sculpted Vegan program that you like. But you have to leave me a good five-star review. Just wherever you listen to this podcast, take a screenshot of it, send it to me on Instagram. You know the drill by now. If you don't send it to me on Instagram, you're not going to be in with the chance of winning the program. And just for complete transparency, lots and lots of good reviews on iTunes or on Podbean or on Stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcast helps to boost this podcast up the ratings so we can reach more people. And hopefully if you're a regular listener to the podcast, then reaching more people with this message, you know, you can see is probably a good thing. So even if you don't want to win a Sculpted Vegan program, please do consider leaving us a review because it really does help. And also... I love to read the reviews, see if I'm ever feeling a wee bit shitty about myself. I go on to uh, the reviews page and I read all the reviews and all the things that you guys say about me, which generally is absolutely wonderful. And I absolutely love reading them. So thank you so much for all of your reviews. Um, and if you do want to win a program, make sure you leave that review, send me a screenshot and you could be in with a chance of winning. Okay, let's get started. So what has spawned this podcast today? Well, I was surfing around my groups, as I do every single day. I spend two to three hours every day looking through my Facebook groups. And I um, I noticed a post which uh, which was written by one of our members, quite a new member, actually. I'm not going to name her, but it was quite a new member in one of the groups. And she, has, she had written a post saying how disappointed she was with herself. And she actually started it by saying, I'm really disappointed in myself. And she said, you know, I've I've completely let myself off the hook. You know, I promised myself in the new year that I was going to be, you know, really good and I was going to be, you know, really healthy and get back on track. But since then, I've just been overeating and I've just been indulging and I haven't been training. And um, but in this particular post, what the member said was that um, she had been eating, you know, really well. So her pattern was that she ate really well during the day. And then before bed, she gets really, really hungry and she can't. Um, she can't stop herself from eating because she's basically starving. And so that's when she tends to binge. And then once she has something, she always craves something uh, sweet and fattening. And then once she like, you know, so she can't have like a teaspoon of peanut butter, she has to eat the whole jar. Or she can't, you know, she, she says to herself, I'm just going to have one Oreo cookie and then she eats the whole packet. So she tends to overindulge in the evening and that's when she falls off the wagon. Then she goes, right, I'm going to start again the next day. And she gets up in the morning and she's all gung-ho and she starts and she feels really good about herself. And then the same thing happens. She comes to the evening time, she falls off the wagon again. And so, she, you know, she said that this is a pattern that she has and she just doesn't seem to know how to fix it. And I could instantly see what I believed was the problem. And that's what I wanted to talk about today. So whether you have been you know, really good over Christmas. If you have, congratulations, that's wonderful. Or whether you're feeling a wee bit, eh, you know, and you're like, this is my year, I'm definitely going to start. Um, you're going to get some good strategies here today from what I'm going to teach you. So um, let me tell you actually a story first, though, about something that I realized recently or something that has happened to me. Uh, Ryan and I were walking the other morning and we were chatting about the kids' food. So um, our kids are homeschooled and they we actually practice what's called radical unschooling, which is a form of homeschooling. And part of the principle of radical unschooling is that you live your whole life 
um, in partnership with your kids. So we don't force our kids to eat at any arbitrary meal times. We they can they can eat whenever they want. Now we do have meal times. Well, we have dinner time. That's the only meal that we ask them to be present for, so we can all eat as a family. And that happens at five thirty p.m. Now sometimes they are starving because they don't get up, at, you know, at eight a.m. and then eat again at twelve and then eat again. You have snack in the afternoon and dinner. They don't have these forced meal times, so they um they just they they generally don't eat. <laughs> they generally don't get up until like lunchtime. So they have their first meal of the day at kind of 12 midday or 1 p.m. But then, you know, come kind of 4.30, they're starving again because they've only had one meal. And so, um, but we try and push dinner back to about 5.30 p.m. because I like to be home for dinner, but I I train in the morning. And so I don't get to the office here until about 11.30 or 12 p.m. So I only really get to work between midday and 5 p.m. And then two days a week on a Monday and a Wednesday, I have a uh, a live in the Million Dollar Mentor group, which takes me from about 3.30 to about 5.30. So, and then on a Friday, I have a sports massage and then I get try to get some work done in the afternoon, but then that kind of interrupts my day as well. So I really only have Tuesday and Thursday and Mondays are my days when I have meetings all day. So I not, so, yeah, so we really have Tuesdays and Thursdays are two days when I get to work between midday and 5 p.m. And I run a pretty big fucking company and it's really hard to fit all of the stuff that I need to do into a day. But regardless, why I'm telling you this is I try to be home where I can by 5.30 p.m. because I like to eat dinner with my family. That is a, a really important thing for us to do. And we like to eat dinner with our family. I like to eat dinner with the family. But, you know, and so quite often Ryan will message me at like quarter to five and he'll say, what time are you going to be home? Because the kids are starving. And I'm like, Ryan, it's only quarter to five. Like I haven't even hardly got any fucking work done. And just as a side note, right, <laughs> Ryan made a good point the other morning when we were walking. He was like, if you were a man, this wouldn't even be a question for you. You would just do what you need to do when you need to do it at whatever time you needed to do it and family would come second. He said, that's just how men do do the world. And I was like, I know, I wish I could think like a man, but I just can't. For, for women, it tends to be different. We do tend to prioritize our family. Anyway, that's a whole other podcast at some point. But um, so my point is, I try to be home between 5 and 5.30, which means we're eating dinner, right, at 5.30 p.m. Now, 5.30 p.m. is not a natural time for me to eat dinner because I usually do my cardio in the morning. I don't eat breakfast until 9 p.m. because I, 9 a.m. because I do my cardio between 8 and 9. And then I eat breakfast at about 9.15. And then I train at 10 a.m. And then I come to the office and I have my coffee afterwards. And then I usually have, you know, Christina will go and pick up my lunch. Chef Lee makes lunch for us all. And he makes lunch for the whole office, which is lovely for them. So Chef Lee makes lunch for us every day. And um, Christina goes and picks it up or Rachel picks it up and they bring it to me. But I'm usually in a meeting or I'm doing something. So I don't normally eat lunch until like between one and two. Okay. One is a good day, but sometimes it's 2 p.m. So see by the time it comes to five or 530 I'm not fucking hungry, right? But I want to be home to eat with my family because it's that's whenever they're hungry. And so anyway, but I'm, I'm usually not hungry at that time. So, uh, but I usually go home and I say, oh, I'm not, I'm not hungry. And then I sit at the table and they go, mommy, you're not eating. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to sit here and not eat because that's, you know, the whole time it's eating together. So then I just end up eating my dinner, even though I'm not really hungry, I eat it anyway. And that's fine, except you know what happens? I'm fucking starving again by 10 p.m. Like I'm starving. Whenever I go to bed, I'm like, and then I go, 
And now I'm not tracking calories at the minute because I am building. But see, whenever I'm tracking calories, that is really, really, really highly inconvenient because I like to space my food out whenever I'm tracking calories. I like to have, you know, breakfast at a certain time, then I'll have lunch, then I'll have, um, you know, dinner, a protein shake, and then I'll have dinner, then I'll have another protein shake. And so I like to space everything out, you know, really quite well. But by the time it comes to 10 p.m., I don't want a protein shake. I am fucking starving. I want another full meal because it's been like four, five hours nearly um, between, you know, between meals. In fact, yeah, and sometimes I even eat earlier. Sometimes I eat at five. And so it's like, yeah, it's a good five hours, say four and a half, five hours between meals. And I'm absolutely starving again. And I was saying to Ryan the other morning whenever we were walking, I was like, this is just, it's really not working for me because I'm coming home at 5.30 p.m. I'm not even hungry, but I'm eating my dinner because I want to eat with the family, but it doesn't really work with my lunch schedule. And he said, well, why don't you eat lunch earlier? And I was like, well, I don't know, because like Lee only has lunch ready at 1 p.m. And he was like, well, ask him to have lunch ready earlier and ask Christina to pick it up at 11.30 and eat your lunch at 12. And I was like, yeah, I could. But then I'm like, then I'm still putting an extra meal in during the day whenever I don't want an extra meal. And whenever I'm tracking calories, this is so hard. And so I was having this whole dilemma of how to move my food around, how to space my food out, how to, you know, reduce calories at one meal, you know, increase calories in another meal and how to maybe track so I'm not overeating because I really have. And the reason why it's prevalent in my mind is I really have put on a bit of weight over Christmas, not a huge amount of weight, but certainly I'm a little tiny bit heavier than I want to be. So I want to lose that body fat again. So it means I have to reduce some calories and increase some cardio in order to make that happen. And so this is why I was thinking of, you know, the meal times and how to turn things around right? But no, so why am I even telling you this in the first place? Well, I'm telling you it because most people don't eat enough or don't eat at the right times, right? They don't time and track their food. They just go into the new year with this goal of, I want to lose weight. I want to eat healthier. I want to, you know, change my body. I want to do things, but it's not measurable, right? They haven't timed it or tracked it or made it measurable in any way. And if I go back to my original story of the the girl that I saw in the group, what she was saying was, she was like, right, that's it. I'm going to make a salad for lunch tomorrow. I'm going to make, you know, I'm going to make a soup for dinner. And so she was planning what she was going to make for dinner the next day, but she wasn't saying, okay, I've worked out my TDEE, my total daily energy expenditure, and my it's it's this amount of calories. And then what I've done is I've broken that down by a percentage split of 40% protein, 30% carb, 30% fat. And then I've worked that into my fitness pal and it's given me this amount of food. No, she was just going almost as punishment for how she was feeling in that moment, which was, oh my God, I overread. I just had a full jar of peanut butter. Tomorrow I'm going to punish myself by eating less calories. And so we go through this cycle of overindulging and punishing ourselves and overindulging and punishing ourselves and overindulging and punishing ourselves, but ultimately the punishing ourselves never actually works in the long term because once hunger kicks in, which it does whenever we've been under eating, then what we do is we go overboard and we binge and then we get into this really vicious cycle. Now, mine, when the, with the story I've just told you, mine wasn't about overeating or undereating. Mine was more about timing and tracking. And so how it relates or how it links in is I I realized that in order for me to achieve my goal of fat loss in the new year, I need to change what I'm doing, but I need to change it on a plan. I need to change it on a schedule. I need to be mindful of what's happening every single day, and I need to be aware of what's happening. I need to be aware of my meal times. I need to be aware of what I'm eating, and I can eat very intuitively. So for me, I don't need to be anal about timing and tracking, but I do need to be aware of how many calories are going in what time those calories are going in, what my trigger points are for we're going to be hungry, and then and then control those variables moving forward so I can achieve my goal. 
Now, what most people do and what I've seen happening in my groups a lot is many women under eat. So they under eat to compensate for overeating or they under eat perpetually and then they binge. But here is why under eating is so, so counterproductive to achieving your goal. Because you have a hormone in your body called ghrelin. In fact, you have lots of hormones, but two of the most important hormones for achieving body composition are ghrelin and leptin. Now, your leptin, leptin uh, is a hormone that controls metabolism. So many women don't know, I've talked about it here loads of times though. I've asked, been asked loads as a bodybuilder, you know, have you ever lost your menstrual cycle when you're prepping for a show? And I'm like, no, never. And what people don't understand is you only ever lose your menstrual cycle if you allow your leptin levels to fall too low. Leptin controls metabolism. Whenever you um, don't eat enough carbohydrates in your diet, your leptin levels fall. When your leptin levels fall, when they fall low enough, then you're, you will lose your menstrual cycle. Now, if you are under eating severely and you're under eating uh, carbohydrates and calories severely, you will be very, very lean. And that could cause that, it, but it's not the leanness that causes you to lose your menstrual cycle. It's the leptin levels that fall. So many athletes, many female athletes who get down to, you know, 6% body fat or 8% body fat, they don't, or even lower than that, they don't lose their menstrual cycle because they have a big carbohydrate refeed meal every single week, which keeps their leptin levels high. So leptin is a very important hormone. The other really important hormone in your body is ghrelin. So ghrelin is your hunger hormone. It's a hormone that's produced... Um, um, mainly in the stomach, um, and in small amounts are also released in the small intestine, in the pancreas, and in the brain. Now, ghrelin has numerous functions in the body, but it is termed the hunger hormone because it stimulates your appetite, it increases food intake, and it promotes storage. Sorry, promotes fat storage. So it is basically the hormone that is released to tell you that you're hungry. And they've done all of these studies in humans. Um, where they have like administered ghrelin to human beings just to test what happens. And whenever they actually like inject humans with ghrelin, what they have found is their food intake increases by up to 30%. So the ghrelin circulates in the bloodstream. It acts at the hypothalamus, which is the back of the brain. Um, and it's an area of the brain which is actually crucial for the control of appetite. So here's the crux of what I'm saying. When you eat too little, your body tries its damnedest to make you eat more, right? And ghrelin is responsible for making you eat more. That's why it's crucial that you eat enough for your activity level and for your BMR. So if you eat too little, right? If you go, right, that's it. I binged or I had so much over the new year, over the the, the Christmas season. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose all this body fat in the new year. I'm going to head it hell for leather. I'm going to wake up in the morning and I'm going to eat like a salad for breakfast. I'm going to eat a salad for lunch. And you're like, you know, you're like, I'm just going to like, I'm going to flagellate myself with food. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to withhold food from my body to punish myself for the sins of indulgence over the Christmas period. Well, all you're going to do is increase your body's levels of ghrelin. You're going to decrease your body's level of leptin and you're going to fuck up with, fuck with your hormones, right? You're going to, you're going to like, your hormones are going to go crazy. And when your hormones go crazy, your body goes out of whack and all kinds of crazy shit starts to happen, which is counterproductive for what you're actually trying to achieve. A much better way to approach the new year is to time and track your food and to get the data, right? To be data-driven, data-driven. What is my total daily energy expenditure? What is the goal that I'm trying to achieve? How many calories should I eat to achieve that goal? 
Do I want to increase muscle or decrease fat or both? What, you know, what do I have to to do that? What what are my resources? If your gym is still open, can you go to a gym? If you your gym is not open, can you train at home with, you know, glute loops and bands such as in the butt camp, you know? Or can you if you have a home gym, can you do something such as basement jacked, which is a home gym program? So, what resources do I have to achieve my goal? What even is my goal and how am I going to time and track my food in order to work towards my goal? But the first thing that you must do is get the data, right? Because you, if you are a chronic, a chronic, a chronic, no, a chronic self-punisher over, sorry, under eater or an OCD behavioralist, then you may never actually be able to eat intuitively because you won't be able to help yourself from your built-in tendencies. And this is the next thing that you have to do, right? So the first thing you need to do before we move on is you need to time, you need to become aware and you need to then become aware of, okay, what am I currently doing now? What is ghrelin? What is leptin? I've already explained those to you. How do they affect me? Um, And how can I decrease my ghrelin levels and increase my leptin levels? How you do that is by making sure that you eat at regular intervals and you don't let your 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 ghrelin levels rise, right? You don't punish yourself by just, you know, eating too little. You say, how many calories do I need to achieve the goal that I'm trying to achieve? You plan those calories in my fitness pal, you prep your food in advance, and you track your food. Whenever you time and you track your food, then you will achieve your goal. You will never achieve your goal if you are trying to punish yourself or you're using food as a way to punish yourself or you are terrified of getting fat. Because if you're terrified of getting fat, then your fear will keep you stuck in a perpetual loop of undereating and OCD behavior and all of that crazy shit, which is very counterproductive to what it is you're trying to achieve. But listen, I get it, right? I understand. Many people actually, hmm, how do I say this? <laughs> so um, many people don't even know that they that they have uh, fear-based tendencies that keep them stuck where they are. Now, let me tell you, we have sold I would say about 30,000 programs over the last three years, right? That's a shitload of programs. Do you know what that means? That means that I have seen every crazy tendency and behavior and belief that exists practically on the planet inside of my Facebook groups. I have seen everything that keeps people stuck. I have seen everything that people, I've seen the main things that people need in order to achieve, in order to achieve their goal, in order to find success. And I have seen, um, I have seen the people who have been stuck in a perpetual loop and cannot move forward. And the one thing that I have identified from these people who are stuck in a perpetual loop and cannot move forward is that they are disintegrated around food or around eating or around their, um, their body. They suffer from some kind of body dysmorphia. Okay. What do I mean by this? (sighs) Well, many of us are just a little fucked up whenever it comes to food and it comes to our bodies and it comes to all of that, that stuff. And that's really what stops us from achieving our goals. I remember years ago, a friend of mine saying to me that, uh, knowing what to do is completely useless without the emotional strength to do what you know. And I didn't really understand that at the time until I started working with a coach regularly, with like I work with a therapist regularly to overcome all of my personal limitations that stop me from being successful. 
And in the beginning, I hired this coach to help me to get better in business. And what I realized was what was holding me back from getting better in business was all of my personal stuff, was all of my uh, control strategies that I had that, you know, that came out of my life that uh, here's the thing, right? You can't get better in business until you work on you. You can't get better in life until you work on you. You can't be a better parent until you work on you. You can't have a better relationship until you work on you. Wherever you go, there you are. You are where you are, where you are. And whatever holds you back from, like if you're fearful of taking a risk in business, then you're going to be fearful of taking a risk with your kids. You're going to be fearful of taking a risk in the gym. You're going to be, that fear of taking risks is going to come out everywhere in your life. And so once I realized this and I realized that I was the one holding me back then everything began to change. And so I've been consistently working on all of my right-wrong issues with Ryan, all of my control issues, all of my fears, all of my little pernickety shit, which I, you know, get at Ryan for or get at my kids for. I've been working through all of those, which has been why I have enjoyed so much success, especially over the last year, because I've been very, 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 very dedicated working two to three times a week with my coach to, to make that happen. So what I have realized is that Many, the reason why most people don't and can't achieve their goals is simply because they are disintegrated. They have some kind of fear around eating or some kind of fear around getting fat or some kind of fear around, you know, exercising or something which is keeping them stuck. And I used to have this as well, or I have had this up until very recently. And you know, and of course, I've been able to turn it around and use that fear to drive me forward. But, you know, sometimes they say your biggest weakness is your biggest strength. But let me, let me tell you what happened to me. So I, <laughs> I you're going to laugh at this whenever you hear it. I always preach, as you know, right, about how you have to eat to build and about how getting fluffy is necessary and about how in a building phase you have to eat loads and loads and loads of calories. And I always have done that. I like I have done that. Don't get me wrong. Whenever I'm focused on a goal, I'm like, I know where I'm going with this. I know where I'm going with this. I hate how I look. I hate being fat. I hate the flab on my tummy. I hate my wobbly butt. You know, I as I am getting fluffy or getting fatter, I'm hating myself every step of the way. But because I'm very focused on my end goal and I know that I'm going to shred, I allow it to happen because I know that, you know, nirvana is coming, right? If you like at some point. And so, um, but whenever people, whenever women say to me, you know, they always say, you know, like, oh my God, but I'm so afraid of getting fat or I'm so afraid of this or I'm so afraid of that. I go, but listen, guys, you don't, you know, you don't have to be afraid because it's necessary. Like, don't be afraid to eat. Don't be afraid to, you know, to to rest. Don't be afraid to recover. Don't be constantly doing cardio. Don't be, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm always telling them, don't do this and don't do that and don't do that. But yet, over here, Kim's doing, you know, 60 minutes of cardio every day. And Kim's scared of eating this. And Kim's scared of eating that. And Kim's like, I had all, even though I have achieved an enormous amount in my life, it hasn't, with my bodybuilding career, it hasn't always come, or actually very little of it, has come from an integrated place, a place of ethics rather than a place of fear. So when someone is integrated in a, in a behavior, what that basically means is they their behavior matches their beliefs. So whenever your behavior matches your beliefs, then you are considered to be integrated. You are considered to be whole, right? Um, you don't have like a crack in the plate. So if you say you believe something and then you act that way yourself, 
consistently all the time, you are integrated around that. How can you tell if someone is disintegrated? Well, have you ever seen someone who will um, have a lot, like Ryan used to be this way with the kids, about sugar, right? Ryan would have said, or about food, Ryan would have said, oh, don't have too much sugar. Oh, don't eat too much chocolate. Oh, don't let them eat that. Oh, don't let them eat this. Oh, oh don't, don't let them have tomato ketchup because it has sugar in it. So he had all of these rules around, you know, don't let the kids have too much sugar. But yet, Ryan is a sugar fiend. Ryan, if there's a box of chocolates in the house, Ryan will eat the whole box. Now, not in one go, but he'll go to the he'll go to the cupboard, right? He'll take out one chocolate and he'll walk back to the couch. And then two minutes later, I hear him walking back into the kitchen. He'll get another one and then he'll go back to the couch. And I always say to him, why don't you just take the whole fucking box? Like, if you're going to eat it anyway, just, just lie on the couch and eat the box. And he's like, no, 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 I, I can't bring the box because then I'll eat it. I'm like, but you're going to eat it anyway. You might not eat it in one sitting, but you're maybe going to eat it over two days or maybe over one day. Why not just, just eat it? Because I am not disintegrated around sugar, right? I don't have any cravings for sugar. So I'm just like, yeah, a bit of chocolate every now and then. It's great. I don't punish myself if I have it. I, don't, I feel I'd like to have it. I don't, really, I don't really care if I don't have it. I don't need to have it. I was never punished for eating sugar as a child. I, like, I'm totally okay with sugar. And so I began to see that Ryan's behavior didn't match his beliefs. If he truly believed the sugar was bad and he wanted the kids to not eat sugar, well, then surely he would not be eating sugar. But yet here he is over here controlling the kids' sugar intake and yet eating lots of sugar. And I remember one day being like, hmm. And I said to my coach about it, and this is years ago, and she said, uh, she said to me, Oh, she said, but here's the thing. When we have a rule about something, when we have a fear-based rule about something, we punish it in others when we see them doing it because it's our rule. And I was like, oh, she said, so Ryan has a rule. Ryan has a fear. Every time he eats sugar, he's, there's something comes up for him where he feels like he shouldn't do it or you know, it's bad to do it or something. So when he sees someone else doing it or someone like the kids who he considers to be an extension of him, he wants to punish it in them. And I was like, oh my God, that makes so much sense. And it's not just the same for sugar. Like if we have a rule that, you know, that you should always say thank you whenever someone gives you something and someone doesn't say thank you and you're like, fucker didn't even say thank you. Well, that's because you have a rule over saying thank you. But if someone doesn't say thank you, you may be like, oh, yeah, she didn't even say thank you, but it doesn't bother you. You're not annoyed about it. But as soon as you're annoyed about something and you want to punish it in someone else, that's because you have that rule inside yourself, right? So if you see someone and they're quite overweight and you go, fucking hell, look at that big fat bitch. And you're going to look at her waddling down the street. Like my dad constantly fat shames. Oh, look at that big fat person over there. Oh, look at that big fat person over there. And I used to be like, oh, that's, you know, it's terrible that he does that. But that's just because my dad has a rule over not being fat. So, of course, I grew up with some kind of rule or some kind of fear around being fat. Because if my dad punishes that in other people, well, I learned it's not okay to be that way. So, but anyway, what happened to me at Christmas was I... I went to my coach and I said, I have something that I really need to work. I said, because I said, I'm avoiding working this because I'm so terrified of being without it. And she said, why are you terrified to be without it? And I said, I'm terrified to be without it because I think, she said, what do you think will happen? And I said, I think that if I'm without it, then the bad thing will happen. She said, well, what is it? And I said, I'm terrified of getting fat. I said, I've always been terrified of getting fat. I'm, I'm afraid of getting fat. And, and I, I'm afraid to be without the fear of getting fat because I believe it's the fear that controls me. And she laughed and she said, do you honestly think you would allow yourself to get fat, even if you didn't have the fear? And I was like, 
I don't know, maybe, maybe not, but I'm definitely afraid. I said, I've definitely avoided bringing it to you. And she was like, well, let's look at it and let's, let's get underneath it and let's see what's going on. Now, fears that you have generally always, always, always go back to childhood. They always go back to childhood because that's where our belief structure is built. So when we're children, we build our belief structures based on the information and the data that comes in on the things that our parents say, on the things our teachers say, on the behaviors that we see them um, uh, we, we see them distri- display and also punishment. Whenever we are punished for something, either shouted at or 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 shamed or worse, smacked, physically punished by an adult in our lives who we or any adult actually, but the ones that are close to us, like our parents and teachers and carers, that's the worst type of. Uh, if you punish your children, you literally you you download a fear in them, which will control the rest of their lives. And so we began to look at what was going on for me. And she said, well, what's the trigger for you? And I said, well, when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do whenever I get out of bed, even if it's 4am and I'm going to the bathroom, the first thing I do is I, I rub, like I grab the skin on my stomach or the fat on my stomach around my belly button to see how much fat is there. And I said, and I, and you know, and if there's very little fat, then I'm like, oh, that's good. And if there's more fat, I'm like, oh, I need to go on a diet. I said, but every single morning I make this fat mean something. Too much fat means something bad and too little fat means something good. And so it took us a couple of sessions, right, to really, really get underneath this. But here's what was underneath it. What it, what it traced back to was a memory. It wasn't anything to do with being fat, interestingly. It was a memory to do with eating. And what it traced back to was a time when I was sitting at the kitchen table. I can remember because I was trying to bring up this feeling, right? And whenever I brought up this feeling, it was like a feeling of frustration. And so whenever I started talking about it, what I was saying was, I was like, I'd like, you know, I said, like, for example, burger night. We always have burger and chips on a Tuesday night. Orion always goes, just eat the bloody burger. But I always get Chef Lee to make me something else, like a salad or some steamed greens and some tempeh. And I and she was like, well, is it that you don't want to eat the burger? I was like, no, I really do want to eat the burger and chips, but I just can't bring myself to choose that over something better. Like I know that tempeh and steamed greens is going to be better. So I just can't bring myself to eat the delicious burger and and French fries. You know, they're they're home cooked, you know, potato chips. They're delicious. And I said, I just can't bring myself to eat them because I I know that I could be having this this better thing over here. And so whenever I really whenever I access that feeling of frustration, what it brought up for me was a memory where I remember my mother making me liver, right? Whenever we were younger. We weren't vegan or vegetarian whenever we were younger. So she made me liver, fried liver. And she set it down on my plate. And she was like, you know, oh, you have to eat this delicious liver. It's so nutritious. It's so good for you. And she really had sold us how amazing this liver was going to be. And it was going to be so delicious and so nutritious and so good for us. And of course, as a child, what do you want to do? Well, you want to please, right? You want to please your parents. And so mom had put this down on the plate and with some vegetables and potatoes. And I remember like, you know, cutting it off and taking a slice and putting my mouth and chewing it and being like, (coughs) like, it was disgusting. I remember the flavor of it in my mouth to this day, and I'm 41 years of age, and it was really bitter, right? It was a really bitter meat, and children have such sensitive taste buds. And I was like, oh, no, mommy, I don't like it. And I kind of, I must have swallowed it or spat it out. I think probably spat it out and said, I don't like it at all. And she was like, no, 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 we have to eat it because it's good for you. I was like, mommy, I don't like it. And I was, she was like, no, 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 you have to eat it. And I was like, oh, and I, so I was like, please, mommy, don't make me eat it. Don't make me eat it. No, eat up all your dinner. And it's the worst thing you can ever do is force your child to eat food. We have never, ever, ever forced our children to eat anything they don't want to eat. 
and because children are naturally inclined to try new foods if you don't force them to eat them because if they if you force your child to eat something then they won't want to try anything new because they think if they try it they're going to be forced to eat the rest of it so you actually destroy their love of trying new foods so anyway mum told me the whole thing was mum told me that I couldn't leave the table until I'd eaten all my liver. And I tried to hide it under my potatoes. I tried to, I just kept moving it around my plate. I kept like staring at it and like wanting to like cutting off a piece and bringing it almost towards my mouth and then smelling and then then putting it back down again. And I remember everybody else had left the table and mum would not let me leave the table until I had eaten that liver. And I sat there for about an hour. Uh, Well, it felt like an hour, I don't know how long it was, but whenever you're very young, it feels like a long time. And I was just sitting there miserable, staring at this liver thinking, how the hell am I going to bring myself to eat this? And I remember keep, keeping thinking, right, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. And, I, and I, I tried on in my body, cutting a piece off and putting it in my mouth. I tried on the feeling of it. And I was like, oh, I just can't bring myself to do it. It was so disgusting. And so mom was walking around the kitchen and cl- tidying up and cleaning up. And she was like, come on, eat up. You're not leaving the table until you've eaten that. And she kept telling me I wasn't leaving the table. And so I was like facing, as far as, far as I was concerned, hours and hours and hours of sitting at this table with this piece of liver in front of me. And I was like, oh my God, just can't bring myself to do it. And so then I eventually, after sitting there miserable for about an hour, mom said, okay, forget it. doesn't matter. You don't have to eat it. Just put your plate on the side. And I remember being like, oh, really? And she was like, yes. But she was annoyed, right? And I remember feeling like I had really disappointed her. And, you know, and, and I was like, oh, thank you, mommy. And then I ran off into the other room. But she was, you know, she was not happy that I had not eaten this liver. And it had gone to waste and this delicious, nutritious, it wasn't delicious, but this nutritious piece of liver, right? So what the hell did this memory have to do with anything? Well, here is, here is what happened. I wanted to eat the liver to please my mother, right? Because she said it was good for me. It was, she said, this will be really good for you. It's really healthy. It's really nutritious. But it was absolutely and utterly revolting. So I was caught between doing what I wanted to do versus doing what was good for me. So I made a rule that you must always do what is good for you or there will be a downside. So I'm going to say that again. I was caught between doing what I wanted versus doing what was good for me, what my mother told me was good for me. And I made a rule that you, a fear-based rule, that you must always do what is good for you or there will be a downside. And it completely fucked up my relationship with food for the rest of my life until now, until 41 years of age, when I committed to figuring what the fuck was going on with this fat, this fear of getting fat that I've had that's driven my whole life And that's what it was. So it felt uncomfortable every time I ate something that wasn't healthy. And let me tell you something. This was every single day for me. Like, you know, most of the time I can choose stuff that's healthy because I actually love healthy food. But sometimes I, you know, there's unhealthy food is put in front of me or there's food that is fattening or there's food that's calorific or there's food that, you know, isn't moving me towards my perceived goal that I have in my head. And I, and I, Every time I look at that food, I, I go through this battle of should I eat it, should I not? It's but it's it's delicious, but it's not good for you. But it's should I eat it, should I not? I didn't even know that this is what's going on in my head, but it was. I was just being driven by this feeling of being uncomfortable. And sometimes I just went, and this is what I said to my coach, sometimes I just go, oh, fuck it. And I just and I said, I just eat it anyway. And she was like, What if you don't need to say fuck it? What if you can choose to eat it joyfully? What if you can choose to eat it happily? And you don't have to say fuck it in order to eat it. 
because saying fuck it is like pressing the fuck it button. It's like it's like getting to the end of this terrible internal dilemma and just going, ah, oh, fuck it, I don't care. I'm just going to do it anyway. And but she said, you know, what if what if you in that moment you made what your mother wanted more important than what you wanted? What if it was okay not to eat the liver? Yes, in that moment, what if potentially eating liver was a healthy choice? So your mother believed it was a healthy choice. You know, what if what if that was true, but yes, you chose not to eat it? Nothing bad happens. And I was blown away by this revelation because that was kind of the missing data that I had missed for my whole life. You know, like I hadn't, I had never unpacked this feeling and really gotten underneath it. But once I saw that pattern that I had built as a child and how it had driven my entire life, everything shifted for me. Because I realized my fear of getting fat was really nothing to do with getting fat. Although I'm sure there was a lot of fat shaming going on in my family. How much fat my body was carrying was a measurement of how successfully I had followed my eating rules. And that's what I realized. And I didn't even realize that until the next morning I got out of bed and I went to the, to I went to the bathroom and I got back into bed and I realized I hadn't grabbed my stomach. And I lost, after, after integrating that behavior and that belief and really getting underneath that behavior and figuring out what was driving it, what was the fear underneath it, my fear of being fat has now gone. Like it's gone. I don't have any fear of being fat. I had the best Christmas period I have ever had, best Christmas season I've ever had because I have been eating everything in sight and feeling so fucking good for it. <laughs> Truly, you've no idea. It has been so freeing for me to just eat food without feeling guilty. And I've chosen I've chosen bad food at times and I've chosen good food at times. I've chosen really healthy food and really healthy, like Ryan and I've still had, you know, delicious oatmeal for breakfast with fresh fruit. And we've had, you know, our, our um, scrambled tofu and we've had, you know, sourdough and mashed avocado and mushrooms and, and all that kind of stuff. We, we've still had the most wonderful food every breakfast and we've had salads for lunch and really healthy stuff. But whenever the unhealthy stuff is there, you know, like I've made vegan macaroni and cheese or there's been you know, um, desserts or there's been, you know, brownies. I made vegan brownies with Maya the other week and, you know, and, and all of the fatty, creamy, you know, stuff that I would never, ever normally choose to eat whenever it's been there. I've just been eating it. And of course, boxes of vegan chocolates from Hotel Chocolat. I would normally buy them for everybody else. And then I just wouldn't eat them or I would have just like one. And every time I had one, I would feel guilty. And then I would have another one, I would feel guilty. And I would have another one, I'd feel guilty. Those feelings are now gone. They're gone. I don't have them anymore. It's absolutely amazing. And so, so how does this story relate to <laughs> relate to anything? You're like, it's a great story, Kim, but I can't even remember what you were talking about. Well, what, what I want to go back to is what I was saying was you need to get the data as to what is driving your behavior. Because what I'm seeing coming up in the groups, many, many, many of, of the groups that, that I run or that I own is people are falling off the wagon and they're saying, you know, I'm beating myself up, you know, I've let myself down. I've been overeating, I've been indulging, you know, I'm 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 that's it. Tomorrow I'm going to this and I'm going to that and they have this real frustrated and angry attitude, right? And and what I'm what I what I'm realizing is especially since I have now had this own realization of my own, a lot of these behaviors aren't driven by, oh, interesting. I was tracking and I I I ate something that was off plan and 
I've realized that it wasn't, you know, wasn't good for the goal that I'm working towards. So I've decided to start again tomorrow, right? Even the fact that someone would post in the group, like a suffering and kind of inverted commas, a suffering kind of post, like I'm posting here because I've fallen off the wagon and I'm so upset. Whenever someone's upset about something, it means that they've broken a rule, they've broken their own rule, or they have breached or compromised one of their own ethics. And you have to get underneath what is driving your behavior. You have to get underneath what is driving it. What is driving your behavior? What are your triggers? What is, you know, is is you wanting to be lean or is you wanting to be fit or is you wanting to, you know, achieve these goals? Is it being driven from a place of fear or is it coming from you striving towards an ethic-based goal? Because there's a big, big, big difference. And see, whenever something is is being driven by fear, you may still achieve your goals. You may still be able to muscle your way through like I did over the years. And I thank God I had a, a healthy drive to be fit and to be active. And, and you know, I, I do have, I've built a lot of consistency and I'm very determined um, and I'm very driven. I'm a very driven person. And so that very goal-focused, driven, determined personality has made me, helped me to achieve an awful lot of my life despite my fears. But I'm I'm highly driven to figure out what my limitations are that are holding me back, right? And you hear me talking awful lot in this podcast about being at cause. And what you have to do to be at cause is you have to figure out what makes you tick. What are your, what are the things that make you angry? What are your anger triggers? What are your fear triggers? What are your rules? Like I challenge you to write down or to notice over this next week, what are your rules around food? So a rule is something where you say to yourself, I must or I should. Anytime you have a should in your life, it's a rule. I Somebody should eat this way. I should go to the gym every day. I should do cardio every morning. I should eat healthy. I should lose this body fat. Anytime you have a should in your life, it's a rule and you need to figure out what is underneath the rule. Because if you don't figure out what is underneath it, what is driving it, what the feeling is and what the memory, the feeling is triggering and then work that with some kind of therapist or coach or get some kind of counseling on it or or read books on it or read, you know, or, or be determined to figure it out, you're never actually going to make any, any lasting, long lasting and permanent change. You, I mean, of course, you may be able to muscle or fear or beat yourself to a certain, you know, a certain level, but you'll reach a certain level and you'll stop and you'll never, ever, ever get past your full potential. You never reach your full potential. If you want to reach your full potential, you really, truly have to work at it and you have to figure out what is underneath it. And honestly, that that session that I had with my coach over Christmas completely changed my life. It completely changed my life. And another way that you can figure out what your rules are or that you can, you know, figure out what these um, these feelings are, these triggers are that you have in your body is by following a plan. Because following a plan will show you where you're limited, right? Because whenever someone says, or whenever you say to yourself, here is my plan and I must follow the plan, whatever stops you from following the plan, those are your triggers, those are your limitations. Those are your rules. Those are your fears. Those are all of the things, the emotional things that stop you. Because if you give yourself a plan, you go, oh, okay, this is great. All I have to do is get up in the morning and do, you know, 30 minutes of cardio. And then I eat this for breakfast and I eat this for lunch and I eat this for dinner. I've got a meal prep all this on a Sunday. You can look at a plan and say, that's great. I'm going to do this the next day. But if you get up the next day and by lunchtime, you've already fallen off the wagon, 
well, then those are great. That's great. That's data. Then you need to look at that area and go, okay, well, what stopped me from falling off the wagon? Okay. What made me, what was the trigger that made me eat that thing? What was the, you know, why did I choose to, you know, only have half a portion of whatever I was supposed to eat? Why did I not choose to have the whole portion? Was I scared to have the whole portion? Did I think it was too many calories? Did I think that it wasn't going to, you know, I wasn't going to achieve my goal? Was I, am I, am I afraid of the feeling full? Well, every time I feel full, does that trigger fear in me? You know, so you have to really, really get, 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 I was going to say really, really get real. <laughs> you have to dig deep. You have to dive deep into your, your feelings, right? Into the feelings, the stimulus response patterns, you know, the animalistic urges that drive your life and figure out what the fuck they are and then work them because that, those are actually what is stopping you from eating healthy, losing weight, building muscle, getting on, you know, and, and achieving great things in life. And following a plan will show you where you're limited and then you can work to overcome whatever your limitations are. But apart from anything, following a plan is just smart, right? Following a plan is smart. It keeps you on track towards your goal. So you have a goal that you're following maybe for the next week or four weeks or eight weeks or whatever. You just, you know, you just need to show up and, and, and follow the plan. And sometimes you won't even be able to follow the plan. And that's your first limitation that you need to overcome. What is stopping you from actually following the plan? Is it just that you're missing a resource? Like you don't have, you know, a gym to go to or you don't have equipment at home or you don't have the money to, to purchase something that you need to follow the plan? Is it just a missing resource? Or is it an emotional limitation? Is it an emotional missing resource? I'm scared to start the plan. I'm afraid of failing. I'm afraid of pe what people might say. I'm afraid of, you know, that my husband will judge me. I'm, you know, so you need to figure out what is stopping you from achieving your goals because those emotional limitations are the things you really need to address. And then the last, lastly, the, the last thing you need to do is really be honest about what you want. Do you actually want to be lean? Or do you just want to feel better? Do you want to feel healthier? And if yes, why do you want it? Is it that you think you should want it? Or is it that you actually want it? Because many people say, oh, that's it. I'm going to eat healthy in the new year. And I go, well, well, why are, why are you going to eat healthier? Because you should eat healthier. <laughs> oh, really? Why should you? <laughs> you know? So many of us have just decided that new year, new me, that's it. I'm going to lose body fat. And, and it's not really that they you know, have have set a clear goal and a clear path and an ethical, you know, standard for themselves. I want to be the kind of person who shows up for myself, who uh, it can be consistent, who can this, who can that. You know, they haven't really set a clear goal for themselves. They just have some kind of fear-based feeling which is driving them. I feel fat. I feel unhealthy. I feel something bad and I want to get away from the feeling, right? That's why many people start, you know, New Year's programs. That's not a good way or not a good idea for starting a New Year's programs because let me tell you, see, once the fear goes away, then you won't be motivated anymore and then you'll fall off the wagon and then you'll get fat again and then you'll go, oh, and then the fear will come up and then that'll drive you. This is why many people like start and stop and start and stop and start and stop diets because they they feel fearful and or they look in the mirror and they go, oh my God, I'm so fat. And then they start doing something about it. And then they look in the mirror and they go, oh, it's great. I've lost a bit of weight. And they don't feel quite so bad. And then they go, just, I'll just maybe have that one pastry with my coffee today. Or I'll just have, I'll just have a pizza because I haven't had one in ages. And then they fall off the wagon. And then once they've fallen off the wagon once, they fall off again and again and again. And then they look in the mirror one day and they look fat and they go, oh my God. And then the fear comes up and then they start again. 
and then they feel better. And so once the fear goes away, then you constantly fall off your diet. So if you're being reactionary towards your goals, you're never going to achieve them. You really have to figure out what the fuck you want and when you want it and how long it's going to take you to get there. And I know that I'm constantly going on about goal setting, but I'm always trying to position it in different ways for you in this podcast. So you'll really hear what I'm, what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to get through to you here. Um, let me tell you a quick story before I finish. It was about years ago, I used to uh, I used to work as a as a portrait artist. People would send me photos and I would then make a portrait, a pencil portrait out of that photo and people would buy them for gifts and stuff. And I was really quite talented at it, actually. Um, in fact, I will put a couple of my portraits that I scanned years ago in the show notes so you can actually have a look at them. So if you want to go and see some of my pencil portraits, you can go to thesculptedvegan.com forward slash podcast forward slash whatever episode this is. I think it's like 63 maybe. And you can see some of my portraits. But um, why am I telling you a story? Because I used to go to my mom's. My mom lived opposite us and I used to get some childcare in the afternoon and I would go to my mom's to draw. And because I needed peace and quiet to really get into the um, into the flow of drawing. So I would go to Mums to draw. And while I was at Mums, I used to listen to Tony Robbins because Mum had a whole, you know, uh, CD set of Tony Robbins and some of his motivational stuff from whatever and about um, achieving your highest potential and all this stuff. So I used to listen to Tony Robbins because I used to enjoy listening to it. And I knew that I wanted to be successful in my life at some point, but I just wasn't sure what I wanted to be successful at. But I remember listening to Tony Robbins and I would listen for hours and hours and hours while I was drawing. And I, li I listened to this one particular episode or whatever it was, class that he had on CD where he talked about uh, the importance of an alkaline diet. And he spoke about, you know, alkalinity and al alkaline causing foods and acid causing foods. And he spoke about the science behind it and how he followed an alkaline diet in order to be, you know, extremely productive and extremely healthy and all of these things. And of course, I wanted to be like Tony Robbins. I wanted to be as successful as Tony Robbins was. Another thing Tony Robbins told me to do, well, I was down well going to listen. And Tony Robbins talked about how once a year he did a juice fast or twice a year, maybe it was a juice fast. So this is like, we're talking about 20 years ago, 15 years ago. And juice fasting, well, actually would have been less than 15 years because I would have had two kids at the time. So probably 13 years ago, 12, 13 years ago, juice fasting was um, was quite popular at the time. And people would have gone on maybe five-day cleanses, five-day juice cleanses. I remember Tony talking about this, oh my God, juice cleanses are amazing. And what they do is they help the body to clear you know, toxins from the body. They give the body a break from digesting food. And it's really incredible for the liver. And you have so much energy and you're this and that, whatever. And I was listening to Tony talk about these juice fasts. And I was thinking, oh my God, this sounds amazing. I'm going to do a juice fast. I'm bloody well going to do this because this is going to be like phenomenal, you know, and I'm, I'm going to feel like Tony Robbins. And so I decided I was going to do a juice fast. I bought myself a juicer and I set out my juicing plan. And the goal was to, you know, you have a, a juice for breakfast and a juice mid-morning and a juice for lunch and a juice for dinner. And all you did for five days was have juices. And so the first day I got up in the morning, I was like, oh, I really miss my coffee. But so nope, juice, juice it is. So I did a juice and I drank it. And I was like, great, that's breakfast. And then uh, it came to lunch and I was like, lunch really like I was at home with two young kids and I thought uh oh god juice for lunch okay nope gonna do this great so I had juice for lunch juice in the afternoon by this time I had a headache because I hadn't had any coffee all day I uh, made dinner for the whole family they all sat down had dinner and I had a juice and by this point I really was not feeling particularly good about the whole juice fast <laughs> Went to bed that night and was starving, going to sleep. I couldn't actually get to sleep because I was so starving. Eventually fell to sleep, woke up the next morning, two young kids, very young kids, and probably was up breastfeeding during the night as well. And thought, 
fuck me, another juice, really? And I was thinking, this is only day two. I'm supposed to do five days of this. How the fuck am I going to survive five days of this? So I, uh, anyway, get up, did it, had my juice, had my lunchtime juice, had my afternoon juice, made a massive big vegetarian shepherd's pie for dinner. Shepherd's pie is one of my favorite foods. Put it into the oven and came out of the oven and it was steaming. It was warm. It had, I was, wasn't vegetarian. It wasn't vegan at the time. It was vegetarian. It had like no cr- crusty cheese on the top. It was uh, salty and and gravy and lovely creamy mashed potatoes. And I looked at that shepherd's pie and I thought, yep. <laughs> and I spooned myself out the most enormous portion of shepherd's pie and I ate every goddamn bite, and it was absolutely delicious, and I felt like shit afterwards. I was like, I can't believe I couldn't even make it to five days on this bloody juice fast, and I was so angry with myself, but my tummy was so full, and it felt so good, but I was also really angry with myself, and so anyway, I remember I was like, oh, I was like talking to a friend of mine at the time who was a very wise friend, and a couple of days later, and I was talking to her and I was like, I couldn't even bloody well stick with the juice fast. And she was an older woman. She was wiser. And she said, let me ask you a question. Why did you want to do the juice fast in the first place? And so she started asking me all these questions about why I'm doing the juice fast. I was like, it's so good for you and blah, blah, blah. And she was like, yeah, there's many things that are good for you. Like why the juice fast? So whenever I explored it a little deeper, what I realized was the reason why I'd wanted to do the juice fast is because I'd wanted to feel a certain way. I had wanted to feel the way that Tony Robbins told me I would feel. But not only that, I wanted to feel like Tony Robbins and I wanted to be like Tony Robbins. And I just believed that if I had this juice, if I did this juice fast, well, I was going to be more like Tony Robbins. I was going to feel like Tony Robbins. I was going to feel amazing. I was going to feel energetic. I was going to feel wonderful. And none of that was true. I made all that shit up in my head. Tony Robbins actually fucking lied to me. What he should have actually said to me, which is what I always say to people now is, you're going to do juice fast. You're going to hate it. You're going to have a sore head. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to want to cry. You're going to be starving going to bed. It's going to be the hardest thing you're ever going to do for the first three days. And then once your body adapts after the first three days, you're going to feel amazing on day four and day five. And then you're going to feel incredible after you finished. If he had told me that, then I would have been more prepared for how I was going to feel. Listen to me blaming Tony Robbins here. So I'm not actually blaming him. But what I try and do with people now when they do my programs is I'm really real with them. I'm going, you're going to feel like shit. You're going to feel like you want to die. You're going to feel like you want to puke. You're going to crawl out of the gym on your hands and knees. This is going to be the hardest thing you're ever going to have done in your entire life. And I'm, I don't lie to them. Like I prepare them for what's coming. And then I say, but at the end of it, you're going to have such high self-esteem. You're going to feel incredible. Like this is what's happening at the minute with the eight-week butt camp. It's starting on the 11th of January. By the way, if you're listening to this and you want to join the eight-week butt camp, we have incredible prizes, $10,000 first prize, 3,000 second prize, 1,000 third prize, yada, yada, yada. Starts on the 11th of January. It's an eight-week competition. It's extremely hard. Double cardio sessions twice a day. 45 minutes of training from home with limited equipment. Only bands and, and loops are needed. And it's it's going to be one of the hardest things you're ever going to do in your life. But at the end of it, you're going to have abs. You're going to have a massive reduction in cellulite. You're going to have a perky butt. You're going to have a shit hot body in only eight weeks. You're going to have self-esteem. You're going to have a new community of friends. You're going to have built d- discipline, consistency. Are you going to fall off the wagon during it? Yeah, probably, right? But I don't lie to you. I'm not going to say you're going to feel amazing the whole way through because you're absolutely 100% not. You're going to feel like you want to die after about week three. That's the honest God's truth. But being prepared for that helps you. So I did the juice fast because I thought I was going to feel a certain way. Then when I didn't feel a certain way, I fell off the wagon. 
that is not a good reason to do a juice fast, right? Or, or well, actually, it is a good reason to do a juice fast. It, but no, feeling a certain way is not a, is not a reason to do a juice fast. Do a juice fast for many, many other, for, for all the other reasons, or be very clear on your reasons, but don't think you're going to feel amazing the whole time you're doing it. And that is why I fell off the wagon. I wasn't clear on why I was doing it. I wasn't clear on my why. I wanted to be like Tony Robbins. I wanted to feel like Tony Robbins. And that's why I did the juice fast. Um, and so, and I wanted to be as successful as him, but that was never going to happen from doing a juice fast, but I thought that it would. And then whenever I didn't feel that way, it was very easy to let myself off the hook because I had an expectation of how I was going to feel. I didn't feel that way. And then I let myself off the hook. So you have to be realistic about what you're going to um, what what to expect. And you have to be honest with yourself about what you want. And it's not always easy to be honest with yourself about what you want because n- many of us aren't self-aware. I certainly wasn't self-aware whenever I did the juice fast. But now before I embark on something, what I ask myself is, why do I want this? And what is the opportunity cost of doing this thing? So if I work really hard for this thing over here, what am I going to have to give up on the other side? I'm going to have to give up time with my kids. I'm going to have to give up time with my husband. I'm going to have to give up delicious food. I'm going to have to give up alcohol. I'm going to have to give up socializing on this particular event or the whatever. So I, I don't just dive headfirst into things anymore and make rash decisions. I think through them and I'm very clear on why I start them and what I'm going to get out of them. So you have to be honest and clear with yourself about why do you want to be fitter or healthier or whatever it is that or thinner or more muscular or whatever it is that you want in January. Why do you want that for yourself in 2021? You have to know that before you begin because if you don't know that and you have some kind of, you're going after a feeling, let me tell you, fitness is never going to feel fucking good. All the F's in there. Fitness, while you're doing it, is never going to feel good. Getting up really early in the morning, ain't going to feel good. Getting to the gym, ain't going to feel good. Training from home, you're never going to feel like it. You're never going to go, yes, I'm going to bounce into that gym in my dining room with limited equipment and I'm going to do this work. No, it's not going to happen that way. You are going to need discipline to keep you going. So if you're doing it because you think you're going to feel a certain way when you achieve it, you're not. Or feel a certain way when you're doing it, you're not. At the end of it, you may feel like elated that you achieved it for like a day. And then you're going to go, what the fuck do I do now? I need a new program. And then you start all over again. You know what that's called, people? Life. That's called life. You work towards the goal. You achieve it. You learn a shitload about yourself along the way. And then you set a new goal and you set off all over again. Same process every single time. Like I am, many people think, oh, Kim Constable, you're so lucky. You're so successful and you're so rich and you have an amazing body. And you don't know that I'm sitting here recording this podcast at the start of January moving into a completely unknown period of my life. The whole business model, I'm changing my entire business model next year. I'm going into unchartered territory. I am doing completely new things with the business. Uh, Some of the staff are moving around and things are changing. We've taken on new hires. I have a massive, massive wage bill every single month and I'm shit scared. But, you know, it's not that I'm shit scared, but like it's all new for me. I am going through a new period of growth in the business, a new period of growth in my life. But you know what? That's okay. That's what's necessary. I'm right back at the beginning of something new and I'm 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 ready to move into it and I'm ready to explore it and I'm clear on why I'm doing it. And that's the biggest thing. You have to be really honest with yourself about why you want it, whether it's even if it's just something like getting fit in January and you have to be really 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 clear with yourself about where you're going and why you want it. Many people just want to feel better. And when this happens and the fear goes away, you know, you realize that you didn't really want it that much anyway. So you need to have something much more solid and much more grounded to help you stay the course. Because if you don't have that, 
you're going to fail anyway and you're just fail anyway and you're just going to keep going around in this hamster wheel this perpetual circle of never achieving anything so here's what i want to finish with right you really have to figure out for yourself whether the things that you do in your life every day the behaviors that you have and the things that you want to achieve for yourself are based on ethics or rules an ethic is something which is internal which is part of us how you know something is an ethic is when you consistently follow it, when your behavior matches your belief. When something is a rule, it's fear-based and your behavior will not be consistent. You can see this all over the place at the minute with coronavirus. Oh, yes, indeed. I have friends who are in the very vulnerable category. So therefore, they are, I have one friend in the very vulnerable category and therefore, she and her family are extremely consistent. When the lockdowns happen, they lock down. They have people deliver their food. They don't leave the house. Our kids don't see their kids. Their behavior is extremely consistent because she's not following a rule out of fear. She's following a rule out of an ethic. She's protecting herself and protecting her family. I have a great amount of respect for anyone who does that. And then on the other side, you have people who their behavior is extremely consistent. They don't believe in coronavirus. They don't believe in mask wearing. They don't believe in lockdowns. And so they continue to live their lives without following the rules. They still mix. They still socialize. They don't wear masks in public. All of those kinds of things. Whether you agree with that or you don't agree with that, it doesn't matter. What I admire about those people is their behavior is consistent with their belief. I do not believe in the coronavirus pandemic or whatever it is they don't believe about it or I don't agree with that. I don't agree with how it's being handled. And so I will consistently not follow the rules. I won't follow them sometimes and not follow them other times. And then you have 80% of the population in the middle who don't believe in the coronavirus pandemic, don't really believe in mask wearing or, or are not really sure about anything to do with anything, but they follow the rules out of fear. They follow the rules out of what will happen if they don't. And again, no judgment here, just a good observation if you're wondering why some people follow the rules and why some people don't. And these people follow the rules sometimes and don't follow the rules other times. Sometimes it's okay to mix and sometimes it's not. It's not, a, you have to follow the rules and have no one to your house, but you can go to Tesco with 5,000 other people. Or you can send your kids to school, which are germ factories, but you can't have someone, you can't have your mother to your house because it's against the rules. That's whenever you got to say, well, is this really an ethic or is this a rule based on fear? And so that's how you can tell, right? When something is an ethic, you follow it consistently and religiously. When something is a rule, it's fear-based. You follow it religiously while the fear is there and not so much when the fear goes away. So that's how you can tell if your behavior to do with fitness is based on ethics or based on rules. And if it's based on rules, you have to figure out what's underneath the rule what behavior, what belief, what memory from childhood is there. And you got to work that. You got to find a really good therapist or a really good coach or someone who can help you to figure this shit out and be better in your life and integrate all of this stuff so you can be more successful. Because ultimately, that is my, my goal for you. That is my want for you. That is what has helped me to be successful. And the reason why I even record these podcasts or do what I do is because I want everybody to feel the way I feel every day, which is amazing, which is happy, joyful, purposeful, consistent. I have great relationships with my friends, my family, my husband. But underneath it all, I'm just not fearful. I'm just not scared. I'm very grounded. People say to me, God, Kim, you're just fearless. And I'm like, I am actually fearless because I've spent so many years working my fears. I don't make decisions based on fear ever. 
ever. And if I do, I figure out why the hell I'm making it based on fear and I and I don't do it and I stop it or I work it, you know? You got to figure out what decisions you're making are based on fear and which are based on ethics. And you have to try and convert all of your decisions from fear-based ones to ethics-based ones. And when you do that, I promise your life will be so much better because it is truly spectacular to live without fear. You have no idea. It's wonderful. And that is my hope for you. That is my want for you. That is my want for everybody in the world is to truly live without fear so you can actually make rational-based, rational decisions. Um, And you may still choose to do something you don't want to do, but at least it won't be based on fear. It'll be based on a choice that you've made because for for whatever reason, this is the better decision right now. And um, whenever all your decisions are are come from that place, truly, it is absolutely life-changing. Thank you so much for listening in today. I hope you enjoyed this. I really had fun sitting here by myself in the office. It's actually a Sunday today. I came here on a Sunday to record this podcast just to get ahead for the week. Um, I've loved having a chat with you today. I had a wee bit more of a ramble today rather than having a, you know, like a, a very uh, structured podcast. So let me know if you enjoyed me having a ramble. Just leave me a comment on the website, sculptedvegan.com forward slash podcast forward slash, I think it's 63, but it might not be. Um, but wherever you're listening to this, leave me a comment and let me know a review and let me know, did you enjoy me rambling? Would you prefer me to have a wee bit more structure? Do you like the stories or are you like him? You're fucking boring me. So please stop. I just get to the good stuff. Whatever your feelings, good or bad, I really would love to know. Um, so hope that you will leave me a review. And if you do leave a review and send me a screenshot, you can be in with the chance of winning a Sculpted Vegan program. Don't forget about that. But all that is left for me to say is adieu, adieu, adieu to you and you and you. And I will speak to you next week for another episode of the Kim Constable podcast. Have an absolutely amazing week wherever you are. Have a wonderful, wonderful, happy new year, 2021. Make it your year. And I will be here along the way with some hints and tips and strategies to help you be your best self, achieve your goals and just live a happier and more joyful life because that is ultimately my goal for you, for me and for everyone. So bye for now. I will speak to you next week and thank you so much for listening.